Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Carl Carlson. Carl is a consultant and instructor in the areas of FMEA and reliability program planning. He's currently supporting clients of Reliasoft with reliability and FMEA training and consulting. He has 30 years of experience in reliability testing, engineering, and management positions. He was a senior manager in GM's Advanced Reliability Group, where he led FMEA analysis for the North American operations, developed and implemented advanced reliability methods, and managed reliability engineers. Carl also co-chaired the cross-industry team that developed the commercial FMEA standard. Carl, welcome, and th thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. I'm really happy to be here and talk about this important subject of FMEA. Carl, your recent book is called Effective FMEAs, and that seems like a very appropriate title. The basic methodology for FMEA analysis seems straightforward, but it does require an investment of time. How can folks ensure a good outcome? That's a great question, Tim. FMEA is a, is a potentially really powerful tool to improve reliability, ensure safety, uh, improve product designs and manufacturing processes, but it has to be done correctly. And it's not just a matter of filling out a form, performing it on the correct parts, you know, having the right team during the right time frame, and using the right procedure. All of these things have to come together to get FMEA, FMEA done correctly. And when you do it correctly, it saves a lot of time in the meetings itself and saves incredible amount of time in the product development process. Absolutely. Carl, what are some of the common misconceptions about FMEA analysis? Well, one of the most common misconceptions is that you can start doing an FMEA based on reading a standard. Tim, there's no substitute for understanding the basics and fundamentals of FMEA. The team members, the facilitator, all have to understand the logic and the, and the concepts of each stage of FMEA, how it comes together, why they are what they are, and how to get to risk reduction strategies using the FMEA procedure. So that's a common misconception. There are other, well, I'll call them success factors, and we can talk about those as the interview goes on, but the, the primary success factor of an FMEA is getting a rock-solid understanding of the fundamentals of the procedure. Absolutely. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about those success factors. Uh, again, it, it does require uh, folks do some preparation, but uh, how, how can we, what, what can people do to make sure that they, uh, they get uh, the outcome that they're looking for? Sure. The, uh, let's talk about um, uh, selecting projects, for example. That's a, a success factor. Uh, I learned years ago, Tim, that uh, you don't want to do FMEAs on everything. Uh, complex systems can have thousands of parts, for example, a vehicle or an aircraft, uh, uh, machinery, and doing FMEAs on every subsystem, every component uh, can waste a lot of time and end up spending time on low-risk areas. So we want to have a selection process. That's one of the success factors of FMEA, how to select FMEAs uh, using good uh, criteria. Can you give some other examples? Sure. Uh, preparing for FMEA projects is an example. Uh, that's a, a, a common mistake that's made is people think they can just start up the FMEA 
uh, let's have an FMEA on Monday morning and uh, we'll get the team together and then they start the preparation uh, with the full team. FMEA teams have subject matter experts that need to come together um, and share their insights and analyze designs. Those subject matter experts, their time is really important. And so we want to value that time with proper preparation. So preparation includes things like uh, the scoping of the project, uh, making sure that scope is well-defined and visible, uh, uh, gathering all the information that you need prior to starting the actual FMEA, uh, make, identifying what the assumptions are in, uh, in, in, the, in the parts and systems that you're analyzing in the FMEA procedure, uh, having the right team member come together, right team uh, players come together in the FMEA. So that kind of preparation is, is incredibly important, will save a lot of time, and is another one of the success factors. Carl, do you recommend that folks get trained on the FMEA process before they come into the meeting? Tim, I do recommend they get trained. Now, this is going to depend on how often they're doing FMEA. Participants who are going to be doing a series of FMEAs over time, I would recommend getting a two or three day deep dive into FMEA procedure and definitions and concepts and applications, including how to use software to accomplish FMEA, this type of thing. A participant who's going to maybe attend one meeting, uh, I would want to go over the, the definitions and concepts with that participant for an hour or two to make sure they really do understand. Nothing wastes time more in an FMEA meeting than fumbling around is it a failure mode? Is it an effect? Is it a cause? Uh, this type of thing. We want the participants to really understand that material. Carl, I want to come back to a point you made all, uh, previously. It sounds like there are projects that are more well-suited for FMEA than others. Can, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. The, any company can identify criteria, risk selection criteria, and then we can take the bill of materials of the system, subsystem, and components, uh, or this same procedure could be done on the different um, manufacturing processes. And we look at new technology. What's the risk that uh, is being introduced by a, new, a particular project re regarding new technology? How much is there? Looking at new applications of existing technology, uh, things like uh, the new conditions of use or operating profiles. Uh, Field history is an example. There may be extensive field problems or significant field problems for similar designs. We're going to want to look at how likely it is, you know, what kind of field history there has been on similar designs uh, and other types of criteria that can be used to uh, select. That type of analysis will then help to narrow down where to focus the FMEA tool. The reason, Tim, is that FMEAs take time, they cost money. Uh, we want to focus that tool where there's a certain amount of preliminary risk that's been identified. That makes a lot of sense. Again, because it does take a lot of time, I'm sure folks are inclined to try to take some shortcuts to speed up the process. What kind of shortcuts have you seen people make that get people in trouble? Well, that, uh, the shortcut that one of the ones is the one uh, that I alluded to there in terms of preparation. Uh, if you can imagine, uh, uh, if you're going to paint a house, for example, a lot of the time that is involved in painting the house is actually preparing the walls and, 
and doing the spackling and this type of thing. Similarly with FMEA, getting all that preparation done before day one on the meetings uh, is, is very, very important. Another shortcut is not understanding the, the fundamentals and basics and then diving in before the training is done. So these things that we've been talking about, if you miss any of these success factors, those are shortcuts that people make and you don't get the right results. Lack of preparation is something you've touched on. Can, can, you, can you name some other common mistakes that people make when they're trying to go through this analysis? Sure. You know, over, the, uh, over my career, I've seen thousands of FMEAs. I've actually supervisor performed a few thousand uh, with hundreds of companies. And there are common mistakes that are made. I've identified the 10 most common ones in my book. Some of those include things like not improving designs. Some companies actually do the entire procedure of FMEA, and then they don't use that valuable information to improve the product designs or the manufacturing processes. Hard to believe. Yeah. And other companies uh, uh, identify high risk, like high severity or high frequency problems, and then don't use the FMEA to reduce risk to an acceptable level. Uh, another common mistake is avoiding um, interfaces. Uh, do you know, Tim, that, that more than 50% of problems occur between the parts at the interfaces? Those interfaces need to be part of the analysis that FMEA is doing so that we get the failure modes and the causes and improve the interface integrity. Another one is, uh, is, is field history. For years, we did FMEAs in industry without understanding the field history. They were like silos of, you know, the product design was one silo and then field service and history was another silo. We want to take that, uh, that, that important information of how systems have failed, similar systems, and then bring that into the FMEA and use the FMEA procedure to ensure that we don't repeat past mistakes. That's an important lesson learned. Uh, another one, and I'll just leave it at this, is the is the use of the FMA to improve the test procedures or on the manufacturing side, the process controls. So those are some of the mistakes. There are other ones that are outlined in the book, but it's important to learn from mistakes and then to, to benefit from that when you're doing the FMEAs in your company. Sure. Carl, it seems clear that the facilitator for the FMEA session has a very important role. Can you give some examples of uh, effective facilitation? Sure. Let me let me first of all state that you're absolutely correct, Tim. That that uh, FMEA facilitation is an essential part of the success of FMEAs. In fact, without good facilitation, the FMEA team will flounder and they won't get positive results that they could be getting. Some of those skills include things like brainstorming. Uh, FMEA uh, properly done brings out a lot of potential for creative solutions and brainstorming is a powerful tool, but the facilitator has to know when to use it and when not to use it. Another example is encouraging participation. FMEA teams have introverts and extroverts, for example, and the introverts have just as much to say in the FMEA meeting as the extroverts, but if a facilitator is not good at this, the extroverts will dominate in the natural course of events and the introverts won't have a participation and that will basically undermine the uh, the result of the FMEA. 
another one is controlling discussion. In fact, uh, when I do uh, teaching of FMEA in companies, that's the number one uh, topic that people say they are weak in, is they tend to let people talk on and drone on, and, uh, and FME meetings can go off into uh, trivia and low-risk areas and spend lots of uh, wasted time. So we want to teach people how to control the discussion along the topic of risk. When you're talking about risk and it's fruitful discussion, let's get deeper into root causes. If you're on low-risk areas, let's move on to other areas. So the facilitator has to be good at, at controlling the discussion along the topics of risk. Those are some of the examples of facilitation skills. Got it. Carl, I think a lot of people are familiar with FMEA, but they may have trouble uh, actually using it in their workplace. What, what advice do you have for reliability professionals who are trying to get their company to adopt FMEA as a standard process? Great question, Tim. The, uh, uh, you can be a terrific practitioner and you can have a good team and still have difficulty getting FMEAs accomplished in the, in the uh, company. FMEA is like a project management tool in addition to an engineering analysis tool. So we want to have good strategic planning, good uh, resource support. We want to have good databases. Uh, I strongly recommend that FMEAs be done in a relational database so you have all the FMEA information accessible to the team uh, in a real-time basis. Uh, managers have specific roles and responsibilities such as encouraging participation, such as uh, 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 business process, getting FMEA integrated into the business process so it actually happens, uh, such as reviewing high-risk failure modes. We want to get the management connected with the risk that the FMEA team identifies so they can provide feedback and support and resources to accomplish the recommended actions. So there's a lot of, and in, in, in in another one is uh, audit process. I want management to use the quality objectives that are based on those 10 most common mistakes. We convert them into quality objectives and then to audit the FMEAs so that we know when an FMEA is done well and we improve the business process in the company to accomplish well done FMEAs. So those are some of the examples of a, the, the necessity of a strong support environment on FMEA. Great stuff. Carl, thanks so much for your insights regarding this important tool. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate participating in the interview. That was Carl Carlson, Senior Reliability Consultant and author of Effective FMEAs. For more, please go to www.effectivefmeas.com. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks very much for joining us.